This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders. Struggling to keep up with the latest releases? Want to keep an eye on what's coming out in the next few months for work or your own personal pre-ordering needs? If you need help turbocharging your TBR, Book Riot Insiders is here for you. Our new release index available at the novel level for just $5 a month is curated by resident velocireader Liberty Hardy from the All the Books podcast. She keeps track of the most exciting books pre-publication so that you can browse them, know when your favorite author's next novel hits stores, or find your next favorite read. Go to insiders.bookriot.com to sign up. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 175, and we are recording on April 2nd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Kelly Jensen of the Hey YA Podcast, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Kelly. Hello. I'm excited to be here this week. Yes. Welcome, welcome. Amanda's on vacation, and you were very kind in filling in. <laughs> I had fun picking out questions for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I specifically said, give me some some softballs like yeah. in, my, <laughs> in my arena of knowledge, and you did a great job. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, Amanda usually does the question selection, so it's a fun change of pace to be in charge. Although I wouldn't want to do it every week. Bless her. She, she can keep <laughs> that on the regular. <laughs> um, before we get into the show, what are you reading right now? So I am, uh, I'm reading the Handmaid's Tale graphic novel by Margaret Atwood and illustrated by Renee Nolt. Mm. And it's good. Um, my criticism is that it's super white. Like you Mm. would think that with all the criticism that's come from that, given the opportunity to have a new set of illustrations for the book, you would see more, but no. Huh. But otherwise, like it follows, it follows the book pretty straightforward. I'm reading it for a book club, and I didn't want to reread the book, so I was like, "I'll go with the graphic novel this time." And you know, that's genius. <laughs> what about you? What are you reading? I am reading the Vela, which is from Serial Box. They're doing these sort of seasons of stories. So they get a bunch of writers, they give them like a story Bible and let them go to town. And this one is a refugee crisis in outer space. And it's written by Yoon Ha Lee, Becky Chambers, S.L. Huang, and River Solomon, which are like four of my favorite sci-fi authors. So there was no way I wasn't reading this one. Uh, And it's really good and interesting. I'm really enjoying it. The main character is this soldier who, you know, has sort of worked her way up and is now a little bit of a mercenary. And she gets hired by the president of this one planet to go and do a like a covert mission and of course everything goes wrong and there's all of these levels of political shenanigans and whatnot so it's very 
it's very i mean it makes perfect sense that these writers would be attached to it i'm really enjoying it so far so it's good times so if you are just tuning into the show for the first time here's how it works this is as i said at the top a reading recommendation show which means you send in questions about what you should read next or what you should get for a friend or relative or what your book club might want to pick up and we will do our best to find you a good pick you can send those questions to us either via email it's getbookedepicriot.com or you can send them through the form that's at the bottom of the show notes for every episode on the site if you have a time sensitive question please do put the date you're hoping for a response by either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form all caps real big so that we do our best to see it. If we don't think we'll get to it on air, we will try to send you a response uh, via email. So keep an eye out for those. Oh, and Kelly, would you do me a favor and tell the folks at, about our exciting new Kidlet show? Yeah, there's a new uh, bi-weekly Kidlet show starting. It started two weeks ago. Next episode will drop this week. I don't know if it's the same day as this show. It is the same day. It's Thursdays. Yes. Look at that. Same day. Yeah. Hey. So you can listen to two shows um, the same day. But uh, it's hosted by Karina Glazer and Matthew Winner, and it's all about kidlet. So books from picture books to easy chapter books to middle grade books, um, they're talking about it all, which is awesome. Like that's an arena I know basically nothing about. And I know that Karina as an author uh, herself knows a ton about it. And Matthew is a librarian, I believe. So mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he has, you know, his hands in that, that area of literature as well. So if you like Kidlet or you um, have kids and want to learn more about the books that are out there for them, that's a show worth tuning into. And it's every other Thursday. Yes. Very excited to have that show in our new uh, what did I call it on the book the main podcast the other day? Our show fold. I just I just oh, made up yeah. that. That's a thing that I say now. Apparently, <laughs> it's a good it's a good word. That's a good description for it, right? I feel like so. That's yeah. That's our kid lit these days show. That's on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and all the good places. All right, let's see. So we don't have any feedback from the last show. So Kelly's going to read our first question, and then I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, and away we will go. Perfect. So here's the first question. Hi. So up until recently, I hadn't thought about what type of books I like most. Uh, The more I read, the more I find myself getting emotionally sucked into books about a dark or otherwise serious subject matter told from a child's, teen, young person's point of view. Examples would be Room and To Kill a Mockingbird. I love reading between the lines and picking up on subtle hints and clues as to what's going on in the story rather than outright descriptions told from an adult or omniscient narrator. I'm a mental health therapist and I work predominantly with teenagers who have been through some sort of trauma is what I'm guessing the word is. Uh, So it's kind of obvious where my pull towards these books comes from. The book doesn't have to be about major traumatic events like abuse, neglect, rape, etc. Just serious subject matter that a young person is dealing with and trying to interpret and work through. Thank you so much, Alyssa. All right. So before we get to that, our first sponsor is The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. And that is a great author name. Can I just say Starling? What perfect last name. And if you like sci-fi horror, this is going to be a book for you. It is about a young woman named Jire who is desperate to earn money to get off her backwater planet. So she lies her way onto a solo cave expedition. And the fat paycheck should have meant a skilled surface team to keep her safe. But instead, she gets M. And M controls Jire's body with drugs and withholds critical information. Super good. (laughs) 
and also knows about Jair's lies and uses them as a leash. So as Jair descends into this cave expedition, inconsistencies begin to make her paranoid. There's missing supplies and unexpected route changes and shifts in M's motivation. And Jair has to overcome more than just the dangerous terrain. There's also, of course, a tunneler, capital T, which calls underground home, and she has to try to make it out alive. PW is calling this a claustrophobic horror leaning tour de force. It definitely sounds claustrophobic <laughs> to me. They're comping it to Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation and Andy Wears the Martian. So if you like horror, you like sci-fi details, you like thrillers, this is one that you're going to want to pick up. Uh, two women hiding secrets from each other and desperate for answers so an emotional and psychological and physical journey very interesting thank you so much for sponsoring the show again that's the luminous dead by caitlin starling so this question as soon as i read it i was so excited because i knew immediately what book i wanted to talk about nice yeah so so my pick for this question is all the ugly and beautiful things by bryn greenwood uh this one comes with some trigger warnings since it deals with some pretty traumatic events uh it's told through multiple points of view that are weaving weaving woven <laughs> seamlessly <laughs> together but it primarily follows a young girl named wavy who is the daughter of meth dealers and she's grown up knowing that she can't really trust people because everybody in her life has really let her down she's eight in the story and already has the major responsibility of raising her younger brother because her parents are so out of the picture uh, because of their addictions. And uh, since she's the only one around who has any idea of what it means to be responsible, like she's taken on taking care of her brother. So one of the guys who hangs around her father a lot, he's an ex-con, he crashes his motorcycle and Wavy is the one who's there to help him and she and this guy begin to get closer and closer and closer. There's absolutely a relationship here between a very young girl and adult male, but it's really, really clear from Wavy's point of view that there's nothing especially malicious going on. It's something that will make you feel on edge about the whole time. And that discomfort is super on purpose. It's a gritty and tough and nuanced story. And the thing that I really, really liked about this one is that it wasn't male gazy at all about love or romance. And it was really refreshing. And that sort of perspective, especially from an eight-year-old girl who's grown up in just such a terrible home situation, that's why it never felt like a particularly creepy book, but one where you're you're with Wavy and you just feel for her the whole time. And also you just like that there's this adult who like is in her corner uh, the whole way through. And that is All the Ugly and Beautiful Things by Bryn Greenwood. Ooh, that sounds intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I picked an actual children's book for this because as I was reading it earlier this year, I kept thinking about how much the author was giving us as an a, like giving me as an adult reader that lent so many layers to the story, but was still accessible to a younger reader. It's The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon. And I just loved this book so much. It it's on the surface, like a very simple story. It's about a boy named Caleb Franklin and his big brother, Bobby Jean. And it's the summer and they live in, you know, sort of small town, Indiana, and they are black. And their goal is just to have like a good, fun summer. And it kicks off with them trading their baby sister for a sack of fireworks, uh, <laughs> which does not, as you might guess, go well for them. And in the course of like getting yelled at uh, for trading away their baby sister, they have 
hide the fireworks in the woods and then meet Styx Malone, who is 16 and seems really cool and has just moved here from out of town and, you know, definitely has a sort of vibe about him that immediately Caleb is just fascinated with this kid. Um, and Styx promises Caleb and Bobby Jean that, like, if they work with him, he can, you know, help them have the best summer ever. They're going to, like, pull off this great escalator trade, exchanging things for bigger things until they get themselves, like, I think it's a moped that they're dreaming of. And, of course, nothing goes exactly as planned. And they have lots of adventures, some good, some not so good. And Styx is such a fascinating character. And you're seeing him through Caleb's point of view. But I, as an adult, know, like, this is a foster kid. He's been moved around a lot. And you can sort of see what he's struggling with. And then you also see uh, Caleb's parents and father in particular is very concerned about what the boys are going to experience out in the world, especially as they grow older. And so he keeps them very close to home. And Caleb really chafes at this and wants, you know, more, better, different things. And so you see that tension between a parent's fears for their kid and the kid like wanting to grow and change and needing room to do that. And again, like this is all all me bringing my adult perspective to it, but I thought it was so beautifully done. And it's such a fun, delightful read as well. So no major trauma, just, you know, these very sort of classic familiar competing impulses of how do you let your kids grow up and how do you deal with a new kid hanging around who maybe doesn't come from the best background and what kind of generosity can you give them and how far do you let things go and all of these questions. Oh, so good. So again, that's The Season of Sticks Malone by Kekla Magoon. All right. Our next question is from Melissa, who says, I'm looking for African-American, bisexual, and or women with disabilities literature. I love fiction, some fantasy, some sci-fi, romantic suspense, and both mysteries and thrillers, and classic literature and mm. women's fiction. Some young adult is okay. No paranormal or aliens having human babies, no cloning and weird <laughs> stories. Yuck. Uh, all right. I hear you, Melissa. I hear you. Question ends. I am blind, so the books must be available and accessible format. I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, this is a fun question. I picked So Lucky by Nicola Griffith, which is narrated by her on audio. And I love it when authors read their own work because, you know, they're just going to nail the inflection and the character names and the dialogue and all of that good stuff. Um, and this is this is short, but really powerful. It's like, I think, less than 200 pages. So not very long on audio. And it's the story of a woman named Mara Tagarelli who is the head of a multi-million dollar AIDS nonprofit foundation. She's a martial artist. She's married. And she just, you know, like her life is she's pretty high powered. And then in the same week, she gets a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis and her wife leaves her. So she, her life is like falling apart around her. She doesn't feel like she can trust her body anymore. Uh, she's really bereft over this, you know, moment in her marriage where things are falling apart. And she is also, because she has had such a high powered life, she just throws herself into figuring out more about her diagnosis and what she, what kind of treatment she needs and what she's going to talk to her doctors about and, and starting to have, you know, issues with accessibility. Um, and, you know, things are weird at work now and she's maybe having feelings for her best friend and are they going to get together or not? And what's all going to happen to her? And in the process, you know, she makes some mistakes and really hard things happen to her. But she has such a fierce, amazing spirit. 
And it's a really like intense look at what it means to have these major life moments come to you and how do you approach them. And Griffith herself, uh, I believe, has multiple sclerosis and uh, is also a queer woman. So it's an own voices book. And it's so good. She's an amazing writer. I've read a lot of her science fiction. And this is, you know, very different because it isn't sci-fi. It's more like a fictionalized memoir, sort of. But it has a little edge of the eerie to it. Nothing super yucky or weird. Just just an edge. And I thought it was just so powerful and amazing. So again, that's So Lucky by Nicola Griffith. I never know how to say if it's Nicola or Nicola. Anyway, that's the book. (laughs) As soon as I got this question, like I read the first line of the question and knew immediately what book I wanted to talk about, which I love. I love that so much. Um, So I'm going to talk about Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert, which is available as an audiobook, so you can listen to it. I think Brandy is one of the queens of YA and Little and Lion is her second book and it won a Stonewall Book Award. The story follows a girl named Suzette who is at home in L.A. for the summer after spending the school year at a private school in the Northeast. And she's struggling with the decision of whether or not she's going to go back to the school in the new year. She loves L.A. It's where her friends and her family are, and it's where her crush is as well. Suzette, who is nicknamed Little, she's Little and Little and Lion, is part of a blended family, and she's gotten very, very close with her brother Lionel, who is Lion for short, the Lion and Little and Lion. But it was lion spiraling mental health challenges that were the reason Suzette went away to school in the first place. Uh, so Colbert weaves the story from the past into the present, where uh, Little sort of reckons with what it means to have a close relationship with a family member who struggles with their mental health. And uh, it especially looks at how much responsibility she has for sort of taking care of him and, and getting him the help he needs. There's a wonderful weaving in here of sexuality as well, in addition to the mental health. And Little, throughout the story, gets a better understanding of her desires as a bisexual teen girl. And uh, she also meets this girl and starts to crush on this girl who teaches teaches her about what it means to be pansexual. So there's a really great uh, thread throughout sort of talking about different sexualities and what they mean and what they might look like. And also Suzette is Jewish. So you get this really tender, heart-filled story about a girl with a solid family and more she lives at all these intersections. And it's just, it's a really wonderful story. And I think a great introduction to Brandy's work. If you like this one, you'll like her other books. And again, audiobook. I haven't listened to the audiobook, but I would assume it's probably pretty good. Um, And that is Little and Lion by Brandy Colbert. Nice. All right. Should I do the next question? Yes, please. Awesome. This is one that was tough. Yeah, so hard. (laughs) Hello. I work in a nonprofit hunger relief organization and I'm looking for recommendations for our staff book club. Specifically, I'm hoping you have some ideas for a graphic novel or graphic nonfiction book about any of the following topics, ideally in combination. Food, nutrition, nonprofits, social justice, equity, or inclusion. We have read two books so far, Big Hunger and Behind the Kitchen Door, and have a good list of future options, but I thought it might be nice to try something less wordy at some point. Must be appropriate for discussion in a work setting, can be something we could all read at once or in installments. Thank you for the tips and for the amazing show. And that's from Leah R. 
I'll keep talking. Okay. <laughs> I debated what to pick for this because this is a tough question. Mm-hmm. I love all of those topics. And it's like, I can think of things that fit one of the topics. And then I think, okay, but that wouldn't necessarily be a great book club discussion book. You know, it'd be great to read on your own, but I don't know how much there would be to talk about. So um, I steered away from the food and nutrition side and went instead to the social justice and inclusion side. And the book I picked is Yummy, The Last Days of a Southside Shorty by Jean Neary. It's a middle grade graphic novel. And um, it follows a boy named Robert Yummy Sandifer in the summer of 1994. He's 11. He earned his nickname Yummy because he loves sweets. But the story is about um, when he fired a gun at a rival gang and accidentally killed a girl who was an innocent bystander. As soon as that happens, Yummy disappears and the police are searching for him for three days. When they find him, they discover that he is dead, that he's been killed by the very gang that he was trying to impress. The book is told through the eyes of a neighbor of Yummy's named Roger, and it really is about who Yummy is. Is he a victim? Is he a criminal or is he somewhere in between? So it really digs into gang violence and the challenges of growing up in a place like the South Side of Chicago. If you're not aware, things have not gotten easier on the South Side of Chicago since this book came out. And this book is probably close to 10 years old. And the book is based on a real incident that has happened. It still resonates. And as I'm I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh, all this violent stuff probably doesn't fit in the appropriate for a work discussion setting, but it's a middle grade novel. So it's appropriate. Um, It only goes so far in discussing this, but it's an opportunity to talk about uh, social justice and equity and inclusion and also about, I think you could, you could easily weave in talking about food and nutrition and nonprofits in places like the South side of Chicago and the realities of kids and adults who are working in those communities. And um, I think this is a nice, like, gateway book into some of the heavier books that dig into these topics. And that is Yummy, The Last Days of a Southside Shorty by Jean Neary. Nice. Yeah, this is a really fascinating question. Like, I want to come to this book club. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> super interested. And I struggled a bit, too. I found a book. I My library hold didn't come in on time. But Elisa, one of our contributors, recommended it in a post uh, that includes five mouthwatering comics with recipes. And I'm going to leave a, note, a link to that in the show notes in case you want to, you know, pull some more out of there. But this one is called Meal. It's by Blue Deliquanti, and it's illustrated by Sel- And the description has me dying to read it. Um, I do love foodie graphic novels. And this one is so interesting. It's about a young chef named Yarrow, who is passionate about insect culinary creations. Mm. And she finds out that it's a it's a graphic novel, so not memoir. Um, But she finds out that a chef is going to start a restaurant that serves insects. So she moves nearby to hope that she can get a job there. Um, And she finally meets the chef and they clash on what insect cuisine should mean. So this is a story that deals with cultural appropriation and identity and food traditions and how they're shared or not shared. Um, It also has a sweet queer romance and it includes insect recipes. And this is so interesting to me because I remember, I think it was a couple of years ago that, oh, was it like The Economist maybe? It did a huge spread on insect 
cuisine. And I remember because I was still living in Brooklyn and there was like an ice cream truck parked on the street outside of the bookstore I used to work at that was doing ice cream, but with different insect toppings. Hmm. So like you could get like grasshoppers or like, I don't even mealworms or I can't even remember the different kinds. And it was fascinating to watch people react because insect cuisine in certain regions is super normal. Yeah. But in America, we're like, oh, gross. You know, like we don't, it's not normal here, quote unquote, normal here. Um, and it's not familiar to a lot of Western people, including me. I have never, like, I did not have enough time to stand in the incredibly long ice cream truck line uh, to get anything. But, you know, I, I like, I, it's an interesting question, but it's also a very privileged question to like, oh, would I eat that? It's like, well, first of all, yes. Obviously, there are lots of reasons to eat it, and there's lots of ways to prepare it so that it's delicious. And, like, what are our hangups around insect cuisine and where do they come from? Very related to food access and equity and social justice and all of that stuff. So, I feel like this, this is like a sweet, interesting graphic novel that would also give you uh, an opportunity to really dig into the layers surrounding the baggage, especially in Western culture around insect cuisine. So I think that would be a super interesting conversation. Totally want to be there for that. <laughs> Again, that is Meal by Blue Delaquanti with Soleil Ho. That sounds so interesting. Doesn't it sound so interesting? Yeah. I can't wait for my library hold to come in. I need to read it. All right, let's see. I will read our next question, which is from Kira, who says, I love watching documentaries and reading nonfiction as well as science fiction. I recently read Dark Matter by Blake Crouch and The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot and loved them both. Currently, I'm reading Going Clear by Lawrence Wright and loving it as well. I'm worried I won't be able to find any more weird nonfiction and science fiction to read once I am done with Going Clear. Any suggestions would be super helpful. All right, Kelly, your turn to talk for a bit. <laughs> I I love weird nonfiction. Like it is it is one of my favorite sort of um, reading interests. Um, and I listen to them on audiobook a lot. So I can talk about this one from the audiobook perspective as well. And it's Get Well Soon, History's Worst Plagues and the Heroes Who Fought Them by Jennifer Wright. And if you do audio, I'd go audio on this one. If you don't, the book should be fine too, um, because it's it's a funny book about something that's not funny at all, plagues and the spread of deadly disease. And now you're thinking, like, how could that be funny? So Wright offers up really interesting insights into diseases like the bubonic plague, polio, the Spanish flu. And she ends her book with a really thoughtful and pointed discussion about AIDS and who gets to talk and share the stories about AIDS victims and the ways that the U.S. government failed to be leaders during the crisis, the way that other leaders have been in previous epidemics. So. Um, Things like uh, Eisenhower was even successful getting polio vaccines to young people so that they wouldn't suffer. Um, so it's a really interesting look at uh, the way politics and disease have sort of worked together or worked against each other. And there's this part in the book that I think about a lot. And it's this idea that all societies think that they're on the cutting edge of technology. So like no matter what point in time you lived in, like you thought you were on the cutting edge of technology. And so we, where we are now, can look back at those things and wonder why people didn't know better or didn't know like why this was a bad idea. And it's just this really fascinating 
thought experiment on like, we can look back at something like the bubonic plague now and be like, man, those people were dumb. They didn't know X and Y and Z. It's like, (laughs) well, it's like, well, they did. Like they knew what they knew. They didn't have the same sort of like knowledge that we have now. So it's easy to look back at the past and be like, well, they didn't know like not to cough on each other or like, you know, it's like, well, no, they didn't. And so it's, it's just, it's really fascinating. It's fascinating to think about that too. Like multiple generations from now, what are people going to think when they look back at some of the epidemics we had going on? So this one uh, will scratch that nonfiction itch. It will scratch the science itch. And also it will make you laugh throughout. And that is Get Well Soon, History's Worst Plagues and the Heroes Who Fought Them by Jennifer Wright. I love epidemiology nonfiction. It's like a weird side wheelhouse I have. I'm going to have to read this one. Uh, It sounds fascinating. So I picked for you a science fiction, a weird science fiction, because don't worry, you're not going to run out. There's plenty. (laughs) And the book I picked for you is The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. And I picked it because it has, well, two connected, really fascinating premises. The first is that it takes place on a tidally locked planet, which, if you remember your astronomy, means that the same side of the planet always faces the sun. The the way that the orbits and rotations line up means that one side of this planet is always facing the sun and the other side is always facing away, which means that one side of this planet is scorching hot and the other side is very, very cold. So there's really only a sort of thin habitable band around which somebody might settle like the characters in this book. And because it is tidally locked, there's no circadian rhythm. The sun does not rise and set. It is always in the same place. So when you think about that, like what kind of effect would that have on humans who come to this planet and settle there from Earth? So we're used to having things be a certain way. We come here, they're very different. And that is sort of the starting point for the city in the middle of the night. It's also like there's aliens and there's, you know, like politics and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, The main character is this really lovely, very sort of shy, like, not like shy in the sense that um, I'm trying to think of what I mean. Sophie really doesn't like to talk to people for a lot of reasons. She's always felt like an outcast. Uh, she was not accepted by her family of origin. And now, you know, when you meet her, she's this like poor scholarship student at this very famous academy. She's worked really hard to get there. And her roommate, Bianca, is this glamorous, you know, socialite from a wealthy family who's also dabbling in activism. And Bianca is able to bring out Sophie's, you know, uh, they're able to become friends. And, you know, Sophie just like totally loves Bianca and feels comfortable with her, but she really doesn't talk much to anybody else for various reasons. So she's a very internal character and she gets pulled into this activism that Bianca is doing and gets ejected from the city into the cold and is supposed basically left to die. And what happens is one of the indigenous xenoflora fauna but i don't even remember the right science words i don't want to call it an alien because it was already there one of the creatures there we go that already lived on this planet rescues her and she's been taught to fear these creatures but she finds that they're actually maybe intelligent and can communicate in this very strange way with humans if anybody had bothered to find out and that just changes her entire life uh and so she goes on this journey and it's fascinating 
thing to watch her move through this world where, you know, time is 100% relative and everybody deals with it a little bit differently and some people are really strict about it and some people are very loose about it. And what was that society look like? And then you have this, you know, question of creatures trying to cross a communication divide and oh, it's so good and it's such a fascinating thought experiment and if you hear Charlie Jane talk about it which I did see her when she was on tour she clearly started from this she's always she said she's always been fascinated by tidally locked planets and wanted to play with that so she's playing with some really interesting questions of science and then telling a great story along the way so I think this would I think this would you would find it interesting from multiple angles so again that's The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders. So I'll hit our next sponsor. Our second sponsor is You Owe Me a Murder by Eileen Cook. 17-year-old Kim gets more than she bargained for when she is set up for murder. Ooh. Perfect for fans of One of Us is Lying, E. Lockhart, and Gillian Flynn. That's the whole description, and I really feel like that's everything that you need to know. That is You Owe Me a Murder by Eileen Cook. How intriguing. Yeah. Um, I've read some of her books before and they are. They're really good. Like if you like uh, psychological thrillers, they're pretty good. Nice. So our next question is from Heather and she says, I'm always on the lookout for great book recommendations for my amazing niece. She loves YA fantasy. Throne of Glass is one of her favorite series and she loves Disney. Her favorite princess is Mulan, so she really likes strong female characters. She's African-American, so I'd love to find a book for her featuring a non-white protagonist since they are underrepresented in fiction and thus hard to come by. Any help you can give me is wonderful. I hate to give her gift cards for her birthday or Christmas because it feels so impersonal to me. Thank you. So the book I'm going to talk about is Flame in the Mist by Renee Adihi. And I haven't read this one, so let me say that straight out. Uh, But it's an author of color who's done a spin on Mulan. It's a duology, and both books are available now, so you can grab both of them for a gift, wrap them up nicely so your niece has a whole series to read cover to cover that hits on the the Mulan taste. And um, since I haven't read this one, the best I can do is read the summary because the uh, pitch YA book by and featuring a person of color that takes that's a take on Mulan doesn't tell you everything. So um, apologies. I'm just going to read this description. And I know I just read another book that had a Mulan twist to it. But here's the description. And for Flame in the Mist, the only daughter of a prominent samurai, Mariko has always known she's been raised for one purpose and one purpose only, to marry. Never mind her cunning, which rivals that of her twin brother, Kenshin, or her skills as an accomplished alchemist. Since Mariko was not born a boy, her fate was sealed the moment she drew her first breath. So at just 17 years old, Mariko is sent to the Imperial Palace to meet her betrothed, a man she did not choose for the very first time. But the journey is cut short when Mariko's convoy is viciously attacked by the Black Clan, a dangerous group of bandits that's been hired to kill Mariko before she reaches the palace. The lone survivor, Mariko narrowly escapes to the woods where she plots her revenge. Dressed as a peasant boy, she sets out to infiltrate the Black Clan and hunt down those responsible for the target on her back. Once she's within their ranks, though, Mariko finds for the first time she's appreciated for her intellect and abilities. She even finds herself falling in love, a love that will force her to question everything she's ever known about her family, her purpose, and her deepest desires. And that is Flame in the Mist by Renee Adihi. Nice. I've been had my eye on that one for a while. One of these days, I will get to it. 
I picked a book I'm reading right now. It's The Bells by Danielle Clayton, who I have read her other books and really enjoyed. And this seemed to me perfect because it is sort of like it it feels very Disney in an interesting way. And the main character is a young black woman and it is a fantasy. So it takes place in this world where basically some people called bells have the power to use magic to reshape a person's appearance. So skin color, face shape, you know, hair color, all of those things. Uh, And it's basically like magical plastic surgery. And Camellia, who is our narrator, is a bell. And she has been raised to, you know, believe that she performs this incredibly important service to society. And, you know, that beauty in this world, beauty is everything. And that she is in service of the goddess of beauty. And, you know, what she does is a calling. And when the book opens, she and the other bells of her generation are about to be assigned uh, to where they will ply their services. And they're only available to people who can pay. So there's a very clear sort of class distinction here. And she is dying to be assigned to the royal court. That's all she wants. Uh, and it is not going to go as well. No spoilers. But, you know, it's things don't go easy because uh, they never do. Um, and as she starts to be out in the world, because she's been she's lived a very sheltered life in training up to this point, she starts to sort of discover that there's more to her gift and the way that her gift has been utilized over the generations than she knows. And this book is so lush, like everything is so lushly described, the food and the clothing and the people. And it's just full of these amazing details. It's a very sensory experience, which makes perfect sense for a book that's all about, you know, beauty and how we prioritize it and what we will do to get it. Uh, the paint, the process of being transformed by a bell is very painful for the person being transformed. So what, you know, why would people do that to themselves and how do you cope with that? And, oh, it's just so interesting. And I feel like she would really dig it. Um, I'm enjoying it a lot. So, and it's the first in a series. I believe the second one is The Everlasting Rose. Oh, it's, it's out already. So there you go. It's recently out. Uh, so there are two out right now, which is always nice. If she likes it, there is more. So again, that's The Bells by Danielle Clayton. And our next question is from Dallas, who says, I need help trying to find books similar to my favorites. I love Marcus Zusak, author of I Am the Messenger and The Book Thief. I love the writing style, the quippy literary marks, the funny quotes, and how the actual physical writing is different, the fonts, the margins, etc. I also enjoy how closely I become connected to the characters. They are ones I won't soon forget. They're both books I've read and recommended to everyone, and now I'm looking for other books that are as similar to Marcus Zusak as possible. What do you got for this one? So as soon as I saw this question, I immediately knew what book I wanted to talk about. And that is The Watch That Ends the Night by Ellen Wolfe. Wolfe has written a number of books across a number of genres in YA. So um, while this title fits the bill in terms of style, I think some of his other titles might as well. But I haven't read them, so I can't speak to how well they fit like some of the things you talk about, but I would, I would start here. And then if you like this one, try some of his other stuff. So uh, the watch that ends a night is a retelling of the Titanic disaster. It's told in verse, which I already find to be kind of a unique storytelling style. But the thing that really makes this one stand out and be different is that it's told through the voices of a wide range of the 
people and the not-so-people who are on the ship as it goes down. So we see people who were in the lowest parts of the boat, as well as those who were wealthy enough to be on the higher decks. There are a total of 24 voices in here, all of which are based on real accounts by those who uh, were on the ship. Two of the 24 voices, which is why I struggled with how to say people and not so people, um, they're not human. Two of the voices are other things. Uh, You'll hear from the rats in the kitchen on the Titanic, as well as from the iceberg itself. It's a really cleverly crafted book, and it's really, really smartly told. Um, Even if you're not, like, if the Titanic is not your thing, you'll appreciate the craft and the style and the clever methods through which Wolf tells this story and gives so much voice to literally everybody who was there the night that this happened. I haven't listened to this one on audiobook, but I read some reviews who said that the audiobook is awesome. So if you do listen to audiobooks and like that format, you might want to try this one in audio. And that is The Watch That Ends the Night by Ellen Wolf. I had a hard time with this question (laughs) because I could think of books that did some of these things, but none that did all of them and had the same feel as Marcus Zusak. So I'm going with sort of a personal classic and maybe you've already read it. So if so, I apologize. But I do think it fits most of the brief. It's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. And it is a brick. Not going to lie to you. This is a very long book. It's like a thousand pages. Uh, And it is the story of two magicians during the Napoleonic Wars that live in England. And one of them is this very miserly sort of awful person named Mr. Norrell who is able to do magic and is hoarding all of the magic books. And nobody else in England at this point can do magic. So he's the only functionally practicing magician in all of England and has no interest in doing anything useful or helpful or benevolent with his powers. And then Jonathan Strange, who's the son of a like declining aristocratic family discovers that he can just do magic on a whim and, you know, throws everything into an uproar and goes to study with Mr. Norrell. And it, the thing that I loved about this book when I first read it and still love is that it has footnotes and those footnotes absolutely convinced me that there was this whole tradition of English mythology and folktale around a figure called the Raven King that was like a hundred percent real. It's it's very scholarly. It feels like you're reading somebody's, you know, notes on the brother's grim or something. And it's not, she made it all up. And when I figured that out, I was just sort of mind blown because it was so compellingly convincingly done. And it's a very dry sense of humor, but I do find this very funny. I think that, there are just these moments that are so ridiculous and very like you know it's that very British sort of sense of humor that's based on manners and you know asides and little quippy jokes and things and and there are several female characters in here who I absolutely adore and I think that yeah, I don't know. I love this book. It's not for everyone, though. Totally acknowledged. But if you like oddly structured books and you're willing to do a deep dive and just hang with it, I think it's very enjoyable. And it does feel like you're reading something that should be like almost a history, but it's not. And it's all made up and it's so interesting. Uh, so that is Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. 
So our last question comes from Kino and they write, hello, I was recently diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, and I'm hoping you can recommend some books that have characters with a diagnosis or something similar. I'm not picky whether it's YA or fantasy or whatever, but I do tend to lean more towards YA. A memoir would be particularly interesting. Thank you, Kino. So um, I had so many books I could recommend for this and picking picking just one was difficult, but I'm going with uh, Final Draft by Riley Redgate because what set this one apart for me and what I thought made it such a great representation of anxiety was that it focuses on a girl who finds that the things she loves to do contributes directly to her anxiety. So um, in other words, no matter how much she loves to write and know that knows that she's good at writing. When she writes, she also puts this tremendous pressure on herself and she works herself into this anxiety spiral, which is something I relate to as somebody with anxiety. Like the thing I love sometimes is the thing that like causes the worst anxiety in me. Uh, So final draft is about a girl named Layla who is half Ecuadorian and she's always been a writer, but she's lived more of her life within the fantasy worlds of her stories and that of her favorite television shows than she's lived in the world around her. But when her favorite teacher, who's always been supportive of her, is in an accident and he's replaced with this award-winning author as a sub for the remainder of the year, um, her world is flipped upside down uh, when suddenly she's not getting A's on her writing anymore, but she's instead getting F's. Uh, So the sub, when Layla goes in to ask, like, what is going on, the sub says that she needs to live more to better understand, quote, human nature, um, and that by understanding human nature, she'll be able to write a better story. And so Layla is convinced that this is what she needs to do. And over the course of a few months, she finds herself taking all these risks throughout her life that she's never taken before, including some that involve romance and understanding and digging into her own sexuality. So um, for me, this was really a book about her character development. It's not a particularly plot-heavy book, but it's one of those stories that you get to see this character uh, feeling like she needs to impress a new teacher and at the same time be true to who she is and uh, write the stories that she thinks she needs to write because she's the only person who can tell them. Throughout, as she's taking these risks, some are good for her, but a lot of them don't do her any good. Uh, But all of them allow her to better understand herself and what it is she wants in her life. Um, So I mentioned before, the anxiety in this one comes through Layla over and over again. And um, it really becomes apparent when she's writing and the struggle she has just to get the story right And then the external pressure of this teacher telling her that she's not good enough and that she needs to do more. And uh, Layla being somebody who is just sort of a person who wants to please others, feels like she has to do these things in order to be good. And it's just it's it's anxiety building upon anxiety, building upon anxiety. And I I related deeply to it. And um, I also find that Riley Redgate's books are just they're fantastic and she's wildly underrated. So I would suggest trying Final Draft by Riley Redgate. I have to read that. That sounds great. This is so interesting because I got a diagnosis of uh, generalized anxiety disorder as an adult also. And 
I have I, I didn't realize until this question came through. I thought I had read some, but I haven't read hardly anything about it, which is weird because uh, normally that's the first thing I do, right, is read some books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But who knows? Um, so I'm recommending Hyperbole and a Half by Ali Broch, which is a graphic novel or excuse me, graphic memoir. And the reason I'm recommending this is because it has I, I mean, I honestly have not seen a depiction of depression that I appreciated more. This is a hilarious cartoon memoir based on her webcomic and her drawing style is she's using like MS paint. So it's not fancy. It's really funny. And she's talking about her dog and, you know, dating and trying to make food or go on vacation and you know what it was like when she was a kid and ate too much cake at her birthday party and also dealing with depression and obviously anxiety and depression are not the same thing but it so perfectly captures the mental spiral that you can get stuck in and what I love about this memoir is that it doesn't flinch away from portraying what exactly what that's like and how it feels, but it's also part of her much bigger story about like her stupid dog, you know, and uh, and just what it's like to be a person in the world. And she has such an amazing sense of humor while also being so real about the challenges that she's faced. And I find it both incredibly inspiring and really reassuring uh, that, you know, this person is out there telling funny stories, making amazing, weird art and being who they are. And it's just, it's just, it's just incredible. Uh, so I, I own a copy of this book in hardcover and like, it's the one, it's one of the books I will never lend anybody because it's my treasured copy of this book. So again, that's Hyperbole and a Half by Ali Broch. And that's our show. Thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. And thank you all for listening. You can leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts if you are so inclined. We love to see the feedback and it does help other folks to find the show. Thank you to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And you can find us on social media. I am on Twitter as Jen IRL. And I recently launched a bookstagram as I am Jen IRL. Uh, it's Jen with two N's, IRL. Kelly, where can they find you? I am on Twitter and on Instagram as Veronica Kelly Mars. Excellent. We will talk to you next time.